happening, everybody? Welcome to episode 22 of the Talking Chop podcast. My name is Brad Rowland, and today we're trying something a little bit different in the fact that I am by myself. Yes, you heard that right. I am by myself. This is a solo podcast. Uh, if you missed it earlier in the week, myself and Scott Coleman reviewed the 2016 first half of the season, but now that games are back underway, wanted to come back to you uh, quickly with a few days turnaround. Uh, just to talk about a little bit more of a conventional podcast, more news, more more mailbag stuff, and uh, you get you get me by myself. So uh, we'll see we'll see how this works. If you hate it, you can let us know at the end. Um, but now that with that with that out of the way, uh, go back and listen to that podcast with Scott. And uh, today we will talk about some news. Um, first off, the biggest news of the week is that Aroides Viscaino is headed to the disabled list with a uh, with an oblique injury. The 25 year old. Uh, Closer has 47 strikeouts and 36 innings this year, and he's been quite good. But in the more recent past, he has not been so good. Uh, he's allowed eight runs, uh, five of those being earned in his last five appearances, and with that, his ERA is now up to three. Uh, this this is big news, more so in, on the trade market, and that Biscayino was clearly the uh, most obvious trade candidate for the Braves in a in sort of a uh, sell high move. They could have moved on from. Uh, from Biscayno, um, potentially for a lot of uh, a lot of a return because he's been so good this season. But um, Brian Snicker's been kind of criticized lately for overusing Viscaino, and that you know while we can't know if that directly led to this injury, uh, it's kind of hard to ignore the fact that the uh, the overuse concerns were already there, and now he's headed to the DL. Um, his his timetable for return is still up for debate at this point. Um, obliques can be tricky. Um, but he's definitely on the disabled list, so that means he's out for at least two weeks, and we'll see how uh, that affects his um, his rest of the season. And more so, he's probably going to be out through the through the uh, trade deadline now. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Braves still take offers for Vizcaino. I'm sure they will, but his asking the asking price that the Braves could put out there for him will definitely be lower now with the uncertainty as to as to when he'll be back because. More often than not, closers are going to be targeted by teams that are definitely playoff bound, or at least they think they're playoff bound. And Vizcaino, um, his primary value, especially considering his injury history, would be to, for this season to be a dominant, you know, high strikeout, high leverage reliever at the end of a bullpen for a competing team. And without any assurances as to when he'll be back, it's going to be tougher to do. Um, elsewhere in the news, uh, Freddie Freeman had kind of a, a scare over the All-Star break, had a cancerous mole removed. Um, those unfamiliar with Freeman's family history, uh, for, there's definitely a family history there with it, and he's been active in talking about uh, skin cancer, um, kind of spreading the word as to um, things to watch out for in that regard. So um, it's a good thing that he had it removed, and he, he should be okay moving forward. They caught it early. Um, Freeman was able to kind of laugh it off a bit uh, in, interview, in interviews after the All-Star break. So uh, you never want to see that, you know anyone uh, having to deal with something like this, but Freeman being the sort of the face of the franchise for the Braves right now. It's not a great thing to hear cancerous, um, the word cancerous being associated with him, but Freeman seems to be okay, and he's been awesome for a while now, uh, posting a lights-out slash line with a bunch of home runs and a WRC plus over 120 um, for the season now, and after the early season concerns, um, which we talked about a lot on this podcast and wrote about a lot on Talking Chop, Freeman has kind of alleviated all those with his recent play, and now he looks like, the player that he's uh, always kind of always been uh, more recently, so it's, it's it kind of seems silly in retrospect to say that uh, I was worried about Freeman. A lot of us were worried about Freeman, at least to some extent. Um, but you know, he's been fantastic recently, and that's kind of buoyed his overall um, production this season. And it's good to see him uh, now healthy, and hopefully that will stay the case for a long, long time. 
Uh, lastly, in the news this week, uh, we found out that Malik Smith does not need surgery. Uh, he famously injured and broke his thumb um, and is, was set to be out for at least eight to ten weeks, but that was uh, pending uh, an announcement about surgery. He's going to avoid that. Um, it, it still seems as though Malik is going to miss about another month at least. We're uh, hearing, hearing reports of a September target of his return. Um, that's not that's not a shock. Ultimately, this is a good thing because you never want to see a guy uh, have surgery. But for me personally, I always kind of worry about guys who try to try the rehab thing with with injuries like this. Um, it would be different if Malik was co- trying to come back for a team that was going to be competing for the playoffs this year. You would would like to see him not not push it, but you'd like to see him try to get back as soon as possible. And avoiding surgery is the way to do that. But um, for an injury that could plague him long term, if it doesn't correct itself, uh, I almost would have rather seen him have the surgery because then you can at least have a, a definite timetable. And again, this 2016 season is kind of a wash for Malik's and especially for the Braves as a whole in terms of winning games this year. Uh, it'll be nice to see Malik's back hopefully in September, but you know, provided that uh, everything goes well, that'll be good. But there, with with the rehab option, there's always the lingering concern that it could be uh, not 100% when he comes back, and hopefully the Braves will be extra cautious with Malik as he's one of the uh, the few young position players um, in this organization right now that you have already seen success at the major league level. So it would be good to see him, uh, you know, be handled delicately. The Braves have kind of been um, smacked around in the most recent past for handling injuries like this one poorly so it'll be interesting to see when Malice comes back if he's if he's 100% ready and how he performs down the stretch with the news out of the way we could turn to the mailbag uh, for the first time in almost two weeks we'll talk about the mailbag text take your questions and uh, the first one uh, is actually a question that we got from a number of people as you might expect uh, and that question was what 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 the Braves will end up doing with Hector Oliveira the uh, 31 year old outfielder was cleared to play in the uh, Gulf Coast League over the weekend and reports indicate that he'll be landing in Gwinnett after that for a potentially lengthy stay at AAA. Um, obviously, Oliveira was arrested and charged um, with domestic violence, and has you know he's been suspended since. Uh, you know, it's, it's been a number of months now, and he's eligible technically to return on, on August first. Um, but there is absolutely no assurance that he will be uh, allowed to come back to the big league club. Both John Hart and John Capalella have been very non-committal in terms of whether Oliveira will ever return. To the Atlanta Braves, as as constructed, um, Mark Bowman of MLB.com also reported that some of the teammates that Oliveira has um, within Atlanta have indicated that, that they never, basically never want to play with Oliveira again. That's the type of thing that's not necessarily surprising in this landscape, given that it was a domestic balance charge that was turned to be quite bad um, from Oliveira. Obviously, we don't know all the specifics there, but it, it, an ugly scene to be sure. Um, the, big, the big question is whether Oliveira will return, and that has more to do with his contract than anything else. Um, Oliveira is owed more than $28 million total through the 2020 season. Um, while that's not a monstrous amount, it is, it is significant, um, given that the Braves made a pretty sizable investment in, in paying him and obviously in the trade that sent uh, Alex Wood and Jose Peraza away in exchange for Oliveira. Again, the off-field stuff is more, uh, obviously more of the concern here. We want to make sure that we, uh, I say that out loud, in that Oliveira's off-court, I mean off-court, yeah, off-field behavior uh, is definitely the bigger concern. But in terms of the Braves, we have to talk about what that what that means baseball wise. Um, he's not been very good um, in a very limited sample with the Braves. He's played only 30, 30 games with the Major League Club. He has a sub seven hundred OPS at the Major League level. And while again that's a very small sample, he, uh, Oliveira has to be pointed out is thirty one years old. 
Um, he's a lot, he's not a prospect. When when the Braves acquired him, it was a lot of uh, me saying that um, and kind of banging this point home that he's not a prospect. This is a guy at his age that has to perform immediately, and he didn't really do that. And if you throw in all the off-field stuff, um, the package has not been exactly what the Braves look, were looking for, to say the least. Um, it wouldn't be surprising to me if the Braves never never set uh, never allowed Oliver to set foot on the big league club uh, again. Uh, again, you know, it wouldn't be a shock to me if they did, simply because they do owe him money, and you know, he's served a suspension. Um, the legal stuff is pending, uh, so you know, the Braves could could find some cover in that. But this is an organization that um, you know has kind of been very very uh, reticent to accept. Uh, Oliveira's back. Uh, you know, some organizations I'm sure would have, uh, you know, targeted the August 1st return date, uh, you know, publicly. Uh, and the Braves have not been able to do that. I'm not willing to do that. Um, part of that, you know, I have to ask the question as to whether if Oliveira was, you know, the best player in baseball, whether the Braves would take, would take this same stance. But given that he isn't, you know, it could be easier for the team to do this. And while the money, uh, the money is real, they owe him. Um, Jose Reyes, we've seen a, a, a more recent circumstance of this, where Colorado just walked away from Reyes and basically said they pay all they pay out his salary. Uh, that was more money in a short period of time than Oliveira is owed. Um, so in the end, I would if I had to make a prediction again, this is reckless predictions time for me because I don't know uh, what the Braves are thinking behind the scenes outside of what they're saying publicly. But I don't think Oliveira is ever going to play for the Atlanta Braves again. That's that's my prediction. That could be wrong. Um, so don't, don't take too much stock in it, but at the same time, I don't think Atlanta has um, enough enough willingness to uh, um, to just you know say that they have to pay play this guy because they owe him money. The money is not that prohibitive um, over a because it's stretched over a long period of time. Obviously, twenty eight million dollars is not a small amount, but it's over a four year sample, so they can they can they can afford to pay Oliver to kind of go away and uh, kind of move on from this in a way that actually could help them PR wise. Um, just to say, you know what, well, we're not going to stand for this. We're not going to play a guy who has, who's been charged with the things he's been charged with. So it'll be interesting to see what the Braves do, but we'll know. We'll, we'll definitely know more in the coming weeks because as of August 1st, Oliveira is allowed to play in a major league game, and the Braves will have that big-time decision moving forward. On to a more favorable uh, mailbag question this time. This one comes from BuddyDC24. Uh, when do you think we will see Ozzy and Swanson called up? Um this is obviously a popular question as well and on a more positive note, but uh, if I had to make a prediction, I'm going to say September, and I think they're going to bring them up together, if not on the same day, um, within a week of each other, I would suggest. Um, that, that was indicated a lot, at least to me, by the fact that they moved, uh, they moved Ozzy back down into AA to play alongside Swanson. Um, the Braves could elect to wait until the start of next season to bring these two up together and maybe, maybe start them together on opening day as this like, kind of grand fanfare entrance at SunTrust Park, but for me, it would be wiser to see them playing, um, you know, meaningful Major League games this season, um, given that the Braves are out of it. They don't, there's not a really a lot of downside to uh, bringing them up and let, letting them get their feet wet a little bit this season at the end of 2016. But having, having them play together was an idea that the prospect guys hated. We talked to Eric Cole about that a couple weeks ago, and that, you know, they, they demoted Albies, not expressly for that, they would never say that, but setting him down a level doesn't really do a ton for his development, but... Having them play together is fun, uh, to be sure, and given that the Braves are going to be banking on these two guys to kind of carry the water up the middle for the foreseeable future, it's good to see them getting a feel for each other. Um, you know, but the, the short answer is, I don't, I don't know for sure when they're going to be coming up, but if I had to make a prediction, I'm going to say September, and I'm going to say they come up um, maybe on the same day, if not the same day, very close together. Um, this next one comes from Jacob Vargas, um, who, who asks, what catcher do we go after in the offseason, if any? 
Um, for me, this is a, a three-horse race in terms of free agency. We can get into trades, and we will at a later point in this podcast. But the three big names for me on the free agent market in terms of catcher are Matt Wieters, Wilson Ramos, and Jason Castro. Um, Wieters and Ramos are the two high, more high-profile options, the guys who are going to cost a lot of money on the free agent market. Uh, Wieters has a local tie and that he went to Georgia Tech and was a star there. But he hasn't been great over the last few seasons, and he is 30 years old. Um, again, he's a switch hitter, a very competent, very talented player who's going to get who's going to get paid by somebody. There's no question about that. Um, but again, he's he's over a year older than Ramos, and he hasn't been very good for the last you know two or three years. He's been more of that you know one win, maybe two win player, which is nothing wrong with that, and that would be an upgrade over um, what AJ Brzezinski is giving the Braves right now. Obviously, but the, with with the, with the price tag, there's reason to be a little bit reticent there. Um, as for Wilson Ramos, he's again I, I mentioned earlier he's younger than Weeders, um, but he's his career to this point's been kind of a mixed bag. Um, it's not it's kind of been disappointing for the last couple of seasons, but this year Ramos has arguably been, been, the, been the best catcher in baseball. He's been lights out. He, I think he's hitting about three thirty on the season with power, and he's obviously a super talented player. Um, it, it makes me wonder if this is sort of a contract year push from from Ramos, but you know he'll he'll be twenty nine. When he hits free agency, which is not terribly old in the free agent landscape, and he's going to get a ton of money. I'm not sure the Braves are going to be willing to pay his price tag, especially if he continues at, at this torrid pace for the rest of the season. He's going to be getting uh, probably a nine-figure contract, which is scary to me for a catcher. Um, but again, Ramos is probably the best player in terms of age and pedigree and talent level that the Braves could go after in free agency. Uh, the third and uh, the le- the least sexy of the options would be Jason Castro, who, uh, the, the Houston Astros catcher. He's a left-handed hitter. He's um, not not again not not the greatest player in the world, but you know, 700 OPS guy in the recent past uh, would be a left-handed option. So a more ideal platoon partner, perhaps with Tyler Flowers, who the Braves have under contract for for the next few seasons, and a guy who I think is a very sneaky value, and wrote about that um, in the last couple of weeks. Um, so if, you, if the Braves could pair, um, pair Castro and Flowers, that would be a, a very low, not a very low cost, but a reasonably low cost option um, to pair those two together in, in favor of um, paying a, a very, very lofty sum for either Weeders or Ramos and then having, you know, having Flowers as a pure backup. And as a pure backup, he has a, l- a little bit less value considering he is making some real money, you know, three or $4 million a year, which is not, you know, not a lot of money, but not... Uh, not exactly what you wanted a backup catcher if you're paying your starting catcher, you know, $15, $20 million a year, which which might be what it costs to get either Wheaters or Ramos. Uh, the next question I have is from Jonathan Niklos. Um, this also goes to the catcher position. He asked, why is there a report uh, saying the Braves want Jonathan LeRoy? And he, uh, the, the, the question also says uh, that he doesn't fit the rebuild, being that he's 30 years old. Um, for me, this is not a surprise at all. The Braves have been kind of publicly in on LeRoy for a long time. Uh, I, we're lost, at least the second year of the, uh, the rumors about LeRoy and the columns written in Atlanta um, about um, potentially adding him to the fold. Um, LeRoy would be a guy the Braves have to trade for. Um, Milwaukee has him under contract for a, with a team option for next year that they're absolutely going to pick up. It's about $5 million. And the Braves would acquire that if they were to trade for him, which would be obviously a super value. Um, the downside there is that you only have one year of control, and you're going to have to give up a, re- a real package for a guy like LaCroix, who's one of the top five catchers in baseball. He's not exactly a pure power hitter, but LaCroix has a six-win season on his, on his resume, which is absolutely, absolutely incredible given that he's a catcher. 
And, you know, the Braves have the stockpile of uh, assets now in the system. You don't want to tr- you don't want to overpay for a guy like Lucroy, who again is only under contract for one season. And the Braves have to be dealing with you know trying to extend him or letting him, letting him hit free agency after 2017. But the Braves do have a ton of assets that they could offer Milwaukee if they wanted to do that. And there have been rumblings in the last week or two that the Braves uh, are looking to add a veteran catcher sooner rather than later, um, so that they can kind of let their young pitching staff grow with with one particular voice. Obviously, having Flowers around is helpful in that regard. But with Przinsky. Uh, almost certainly out of town after this season, whether by retirement or by free agency, the Braves are going to be looking to upgrade the position sooner rather than later again. And uh, Lucroy is the is the fastest option. The Braves could trade for him in the next two weeks. It's possible that the Braves could go out and offer a real package for him, and bring him in before the deadline. Um, it would be interesting timing, given that this is again a team that's not competing in 2016. So to add a to add a guy like Lucroy um, in the middle of the season is it would be an interesting move because. Most of the time, when you when you see a midseason trade to add salary and to add a veteran presence like that, you're looking at a team who's looking to win. So uh, to have a, a quote unquote seller like the Braves go out and trade for Lacroix would be a bit off in terms of the normal landscape, but it would not be shocking in the same in the same in the same sentence because Lacroix has been a guy that the Braves have been linked to for a long time. Uh, finally, on the catcher on the catcher front, we got an interesting question from Mdubs8 on Twitter. Um, he asked, should the Braves bring back Brian McCann to platoon with Tyler Flowers for this year and next year? And he adds that he seems like a perfect fit. Uh, I, I love Brian McCann. I grew up in Gwinnett County. Uh, watched Brian McCann play high school baseball, and obviously I watched him star with the Braves for a long time. Uh, the problem here would be, obviously, that he's owed a lot of money by the Yankees over the next two seasons. He's owed $34 million for 2017 and 2018 combined with a vesting option for $15 million in 2019. Also, McCann is, uh, he's already 32 years old. He's getting up there in terms of age, especially for the catcher position. That's, that's a grueling spot. In the National League, they couldn't, he couldn't be hidden as a designated hitter either. So you're looking at a guy who's going to have to catch uh, all the time in order to get in the lineup, especially because first base is not a position that McCann could play with the Braves, given Freddie Freeman's presence. Um, you know, so this seems a little bit far-fetched. I understand why people would uh, want McCann back, especially because he's a left-handed bat. That would uh, obviously be a, an ideal fit with Flowers moving forward. But McCann's price tag is not small, and the Braves would have to trade for McCann and give up some real assets. So it seems far-fetched to me, even though it'd be fun to see McCann back in a Braves uniform. As we get away from the catcher market a little bit, I've got a question from Clayton Pickens. Um, he asks, if you were copy, who would you request from the Rangers in exchange for Julio Tehran? Um you know, this is a question that we got a lot of in a certain form with certain teams. Uh, the Rangers are the most popular spot now that Boston has paid for Drew Pomerantz. We talked a little bit about this with Scott and that uh, I personally would not trade Tehran right now unless unless I'm bowled over by an offer. But the Rangers do have a, a very attractive piece in Joey Gallo, who's a 22-year-old power-hitting corner, you know, corner infielder, corner outfielder prospect who could be a 40-homer guy in the majors. Um, Gallo is very risky for me in that he's going to strike out a lot. Um, and while strikeouts are not exactly something that scares me off too much, this is a guy who might have a serious strikeout problem. Could be a 200-plus strikeout per year player at, at, the, at the big league level as he profiles right now. Um, again, if you're going to tell me the guy's going to hit 40 home runs, strike out 20 times, I'm probably going to be good with that. But um, Gallo is very raw, uh, even at 22, and even, even after spending a lot of time in the minor leagues, he's still a very raw player that would be a risk to trade Julio Tehran for. Um, there's an argument for selling high on Tehran. Uh, and I'm, I understand that completely, given the fact that his uh, his FIP is higher than his ERA. Some of his peripherals seem like the the sub three ERA is unsustainable. But 
Um, if the Rangers were to build a package around Gallo, um, perhaps with another asset or two on, on top of that, it would be something the Braves would have to look at. I'm not sure how Copy and company feel about Gallo as a specific, as a, as a specific prospect, but they're definitely looking for power. And uh, Gallo, in terms of minor leaguers, presents more power than just about anybody on the market. So that would be a guy that would seem to fit quite well in the Braves' plans if they elected to uh, move on from Julio in the next two weeks. Um, elsewhere, um, we have a question from B.W. Freeman, and he asks, uh, besides Dansby and or Ozzy, uh, who is the next big position player that could be called up by the Braves? Um, in terms of big position players, I think that's probably going to be the list for this year. Uh, you might see Rio, Rio Ruiz, who will be the guy that I would suggest will be the next guy called up. He has a chance to get called up in September uh, when the rosters expand. I don't think Ruiz is going to be a factor really at the major league level this season, given that he, you know, isn't he's not lighting the world on fire. AAA, he's having a nice season, and I'm a fan of his. Um, but in terms of big position players, most of the guys who are the high impact guys are lower level in the minors right now with the exception of Swanson and Albies. Um, so I'll go with Ruiz. You know, there's been some chatter about Dustin Peterson. Um, he's been very good, but again, he's even he's pretty young for the double-A level, so to jump him up to the majors right now would be pretty aggressive. And the triple-A roster is, is fairly barren in terms of high-impact prospects outside of Ruiz. So I'll go with Ruiz. Um, he could see some plug-and-play guys also um, in the majors in September just for roster balance. But in terms of the guys that we recognize as, you know, the upper-tier prospects, I think Ruiz is probably the closest bet. Uh, next question comes from Ryan Lottinger. Hope I got that right. Um, why do the Braves hold on to trade bait too long and, and allow the, the uh, trade value to diminish on those players? Um, he uses also uses Alexio Gondo, Eric Ibar, Nick Markakis as examples and saying that they could have been traded earlier. Um, I First of all, I understand this, uh, this question a lot in that you can always go back and try to find the ideal um, time to uh, trade any prospect or any player. I do think this is a little bit overblown, though, especially, you know, Ogando, the Braves, I, I agree, probably could have done a little bit better extracting value there. But in case of Ibar, Ibar had about a two-week span this, this season where he was a productive baseball player, and aside from that, he's been ghastly. So unless you're trying to tell me that the Braves should, should have flipped Ibar in the offseason after they acquired him, that would have been more reasonable considering he still had value. But as soon as he started the season off with about the worst two weeks imaginable, um, his, his trade value was definitely going to be tanked. So to say the Braves should have sold high, um, during his one stretch of positive baseball is a little bit aggressive because I'm not sure any any uh, front office around the league would have been buying that. Um, in terms of Marquecas, I would absolutely pull the trigger on Marquecas uh, on, on a trade as soon as possible. I've said that over and over again, uh, both in this space. I've also written it for the last you know two years. Um, so I agree the Braves would be making a mistake, in my opinion, if they did not um, pull the trigger on a trade for Marquecas before the deadline. Again, I wouldn't shock me if they didn't. This is an organization that seems to value Marquecas higher than I do personally. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Again, he's not, he's not an awful baseball player, but he does limit the upside, limit the flexibility of the outfield um, considerably. And if the Braves could get anything of value from Marquecas while um, not exchanging a lot of money uh, in terms of paying off his future years of commitment, that would be a win in my book. Um, but as far as uh, holding on too long to prospects, that's something that could be a little bit overblown in my opinion. And it's always tough and um, to pick to pinpoint the perfect time to trade somebody. And hindsight is always twenty twenty. Uh, just two more questions here. The first comes from at uh, tpier six twenty five on Twitter, and he asks, "What are the chances that AJ Mentor?" Gets called up in, in September. Uh, mentor, for those unfamiliar, is a 22-year-old left-handed pitcher. Um, he's been lights out this season in, my, in the minors, but again, he's only pitched about 20 professional innings. 
For me, that seems pretty unlikely that a guy with that little experience is going to be coming up to the majors this season. He could get a look next year, especially if it comes to a bullpen role, if you want, if, they, if Braves want to look at him in that way. Um, but Minter, it would be pretty aggressive um, for me to come to see him come up in September, especially for a team that, again, has no incentive to really throw guys in the fire unless they're uh, unless it's just more of an experiment, which I guess the Braves could, could do that if they wanted to experiment a little bit with his um, – with his resume, his profile at the big league level, but again, 20 major league innings is not going to be uh, normally the, the profile of a guy who gets called up in, in September. And finally, uh, Jacob Vargas asks uh, for if there's been any update on who the manager will be for the 2017 season and beyond. Um, you know, not really an update. Uh, Braves still have a manager in Ryan Snicker, although he's interim. Um, Copy has said recently, I think it was Mark Bowman that brought this quote, um, that basically said Brian Sicker is a viable candidate, a quote unquote. Um, that's definitely true. And they're always going to say that. And they're always going to interview, they're going to interview Snicker. That's going to happen. Uh, I've not been generally impressed with Snicker's work in terms of, uh, tactically this season. I don't know, uh, personally how he's been, how he's been in the, in the clubhouse. And that's something the Braves definitely value. Um, as we can see with Freddie Gonzalez being around for so long as a poor tactical manager, but one that the Braves um, really, really like from a clubhouse standpoint. And, you know, the same can be said for Bobby Cox. Bobby Cox had several tactical flaws to his game that we all like to kind of overlook because he was a, sort of a legend. And he won so much that it never really mattered. Um, but Bobby was not the greatest tactical manager in the world. And this is an organization that really values that clubhouse aspect, so it's tough to evaluate that from the outside. Um, aside from Snicker, uh, I think Bud Black has been the, the biggest name that's been mentioned. Uh, I think it was Bob, Na- Bob Nightingale earlier in the year kind of mentioned him as almost a slam dunk candidate um, for 2017. That seems pretty crazy to me considering we're you know at least, at least a few months away from the Braves even doing a managerial search. Um, and also Mark DeRosa, who's, uh, who famously played for the Braves, has been a name mentioned along with the job for a while now since Freddie was uh, moved on from. Um, you know, this is going to be a, a a nationwide search, so to speak. That's a college football term more than anything else. But uh, the Braves are going to look outside the organization. They've said that. Copy said that multiple times. I think John Hart said that as well. That the Braves are not going to be necessarily looking internally only for this job. Snicker's going to get a fair shake, and if they like what what they hear from him, then he could he could have the uh, inside track, especially because the Braves have been performing better under his leadership. Whether he gets credit for that uh, is up for debate, and for me, it doesn't really uh, doesn't really jive with me, but. Uh, Snicker is going to be the the one internal candidate. I think is going to get a real long look. I would be surprised if any other internal candidate, whether that be you know Terry Pendleton or a guy like that, could get a look. I guess, but I'm going to go with uh, Snicker as the internal candidate and guys like Black and DeRozan. Maybe some somebody we haven't heard of at all. That would not surprise me at all. If the Braves went off the beaten path completely, um, preferably for me with a more tactical, more you know statistically based manager for the first time in a long time, a very 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 long time, I should say. Um, but it would be it'll be interesting to see what the Braves do there, and uh, there's there'll be any number of options that want this job, considering the young talent on the roster and the, just the pedigree of the organization. Um, with that, we're going to wrap things up for today. Uh, I should plug uh, one thing for sure on Talking Shop, and that is the uh, the top 25 prospect list. We mentioned that earlier in the week on our on our previous podcast. But Eric Cole, Garrett Spain, Matt Powers. Uh, Gaurav, all those guys did great work on that. Um, it, it comes in a five-part series um, with you know 25 to 21, 20 to 16, 15 to 11, 10 to 6, and 5 to 1, broken down in separate posts. That's a must-read for any Braves fan. Uh, personally, and I'm biased here, but I think I think Talking Tribe does the best prospect coverage in terms of the Braves on the internet. 
Um, obviously, there's some great national platforms, Baseball America, MLB Pipeline. Those guys do a great job as well. But in terms of Brave-centric um, focus, um, Talking Shop does a great job, and I appreciate those guys greatly. So go go read that. Tell your friends to read that. Catch up on the, on the – uh, there's never been a better time in terms of uh, Braves fandom to be locked in on the prospects given that the Major League Club is not really uh, relevant, super relevant right now. So keep an eye on that. Go read that. Also, uh, follow us on Twitter at Talking Chop. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland, and uh, keep it locked to Talking Chop for all your Braves needs. And uh, next week we'll be back with another podcast. And thanks as always for listening.